Hello. Today we are starting the second episode of Prisons of Liberty, and we have with us Shyam. He is a educational enthusiast. Uh, for the lack of sorry, can we stop? Can I forgot to ask an introduction of yours? <laughs> sorry, this is uh, so. Le, should we should we just uh, start again, and you can edit this part out? I yeah, guess. yeah, yeah, yeah. So could you give me an intro for you? uh sure so maybe so do i introduce myself or you will ask like no i just start give it? a yeah like i'll start with the whole introduction we'll start from the top and just kind of ask a question and i'll respond yeah okay i'll i'll probably just ask to introduce yourself and you probably can yeah is that fine yeah okay sorry that was just weird no, no, uh yeah Hello and welcome. Today we have um, for the second episode of Prisons of Liberty. We have with us Shyam Chaudhary. Shyam, could you just give us a brief introduction of yourself? Yeah, thanks, Sam, for inviting me. I teach uh, critical writing uh, at the Young India Fellowship, and the specific course I teach is called Education Literacy and Justice. So, yeah. i am very passionate about education and social justice and how education can add to social justice and uh, i've been a part of your course and it's been really enlightening for the past 8 months it's helped me refine my writing as, as well i've had good conversations with you on a lot of philosophical aspects which is what i'm hoping to explore through this podcast and this episode um we particularly going to going to be talking about one text and um, as as you know this podcast is aiming to talk more on the uh, aspect of freedom and um, today we're going to be exploring bartleby uh, it's it's a novel a short novel written short story written um, i think in the 60s so um, the summary of the podcast of of the text for those who haven't read it is um bartleby is a criminal who um so who is who joins a law firm and works under a law a lawyer as a, a copyist and initially he works um as per the demands of the lawyer and later he starts resisting it and he resists any job that he is given and um this leads to repercussions in uh, forms and he is later incarcerated and then he dies uh, from also an extension of him uh, exhibiting his own free will so the question that i'm leading up to shayan is how important is it to have a balance between individual free will and say imposition of some level of structural will or uh, freedom or you know constraints in in itself thanks for that question sam so bartleby is a very interesting short story and uh, and you know it's it's a story from the 19th century you know which is sort of talking about a specific social context in the us uh, i guess that's something we're not going into so much today but the question you asked is very interesting i think in bartleby's case there is clearly a certain exercise of his free will right 
he is exercising his will to not work right as he is told to work as he is supposed to work um uh, he doesn't instead his response is i would prefer not to and you know this line has become almost immortalized and uh, and it's an interesting word because it's so polite right like i would prefer not to so it's 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 sort of asserted as a preference and today in today's sort of uh, you know time and society where we you know keep talking about the importance of my choice and being liberal uh and you know being part of a marketplace of choices where it's all about your preference you know one could actually find some sort of a line between what bartleby is saying in terms of exercising his preference and you know ideals we hold today uh, as part of a liberal democracy but the difference is that in bartleby's case he says that he doesn't just say i would prefer not to he self destructs right he in a sense withdraws from the normative structures of life uh, which includes work uh and of course labor inherently has an element of exploitation in it he refuses to uh you know abide by a certain you know set of norms which would ensure his survival and so he dies right but that is something we can't really translate to today's world right today in fact like we are preferring to do separate things i mean we are asserting our preference and our identities in terms of our choices but because we want to live differently right now to come back to the question i mean this is a bit of a digression but to come back to the question of you know the balance between your free will and the imposition of will by external forces and authorities and structures i think the question is about why are we seeking that balance right and for me seeking that balance is linked to seeking a certain kind of life right now if my refusal uh to abide by the you know external will which is which is in fact an exercise of my free will leads to my destruction as it were how do i actually read that act is it an act which affirms my free will or is it an act which in fact negates my free will paradoxically right uh you know because my capacity to exercise free will does not sustain in the future you know it is inherently impoverished so there is a kind of free will i'm exercising which will actually ensure that i will i will no longer have any free will because i will perish completely right um so to recontextualize the question to today's kind of scenario and how i would think of my life for me the question is what kind of life am i seeking and added to that is what kind of life am i seeking in relation to others right so that's a sort of broad abstract response to what you're saying but yeah maybe we can take this forward so how do you think about this um yeah so my thoughts on this balance that is required is because like like in my synthesis of like say bartleby i would argue saying his extension of him uh, uh, you know exercising his own individual free will did cause 
the lack of sustenance or impoverishment of his own free will but at the same time uh, that was also because of him not doing what he agreed to do so you agree to be a part of a structure like this is where we bring in philosophers like hobbes who argued for that social contract that everyone is born into which which inherently cancels some amount of free will we don't really when we are born we are not people who are signing a contract but as a as the virtue of being part of a society or a workplace you are agreeing to do certain things and and you resisting to do what you promised to do you know that you have repercussions or some sort of a ramification for your actions so does that mean that that impoverishment is something that the system gives you or is is it a result of your own actions so uh let me address sort of you know you have, you have a set of points and questions there so let them let me address them one by one the first one is regarding as you said how you are already signing up for a certain structure of life and work right now you may do it by identifying with a larger social body right you use the hobbs example but let's say today we will identify with a larger sense of citizenship or we'll identify with a larger sense of what it means to be indian or what it means to be uh, uh, you know a worker within a developmental paradigm right now of course these all these meanings are contested we are not getting into that but you are identifying with a larger social consensus uh, with a larger set of social norms and within that you organize your life and work and you do it or you can also use the social contract example right it's not that you are signing a contract of course in work you do sign a contract but uh, your identity and your structures of life only comes from that agreement right and that applies to all relationships that you're into right like in all relationships there is an agreement i mean you and i are agreeing to certain norms whether they're spoken or unspoken right a lot of them are spoken some of them are unspoken but we are agreeing to these norms in order to facilitate a productive relationship according to what you want and what i want right now uh, the thing is that when you move away from it um there are two possibilities in my head right now one possibility is that you move away from it as a kind of naive defiance right it's like i have <laughs> i have learned to deconstruct structures right i i have learned to question everything and question structures but i am also stuck there i'm only i'm only stuck at posing that question i'm only able to say that uh that all all these structures are so oppressive so let's say i go into my workspace and i look at how salaries are hierarchically organized i see how labor is hierarchically organized and i question it right and i can question it i can shout i can break down things um uh, but would things change we are not sure about that right so one is just at the level of posing a question and the act of defiance and i call it naive not because it is ill meant it is very well meant right 
So when Bartleby is saying, I would prefer not to, I mean, we don't entirely understand whether it's rooted in psychological reasons or ideological reasons. But let's say Bartleby is saying, I would prefer not to do work within this kind of ex- exploitative structure. I want free time, right? Uh, but how does Bartleby earn money? What alternative work does he do, right? Uh, how does he challenge the norms of that workspace so that other people don't have to work in that structure, right? That is the next step. So the second possibility for me is going beyond the question towards now sort of the act of reconstruction, right? And uh, so I feel that then it's no longer naive defiance, although it may begin with defiance, but defiance moves towards a kind of reconstruction where in fact you are again reinforcing a structure, right? It may not be radically different from a previous structure. This is what frequently happens in institutions. You know, you have, a, let's say in a university, you will have a protest against some unjust policy. Uh, and, uh, and then like everyone will come together. It will start with that act of defiance, right? But then a few conversations down, you are co- trying to come to an agreement about, we need like this little shift in policy. Uh, we need student representatives in the academic body. Uh, we need a procedure, right? And you agree. Does that radically change anything? Uh, maybe not too. So again, what I'm also trying to say is that defiance may not lead to radical or may not lead to significant consequences, but reconstruction too may be limited in many ways, right? So, so but in reconstruction, at least, you acknowledge with humility that perhaps you can't do without structures. Um, Yeah. Yeah, like what you ended with was a point that I wanted to bring up through the course of your uh, argument here that you said something very interesting that you've learned to deconstruct. Hmm. But what today um, I commonly uh, observe is it's not only deconstruction, it's demolition. Right. So people are more uh, oriented towards tearing down structures without, yeah, like you said, it's just standing at the posing or it's just that desire to bring down existing structures for whatever negative reason that the structure has. But what do we place in its space? That is something that we need to realize. Like when you said that reconstruction at least helps you realize the importance of having structures. That's something I think we need to talk about because that ties back into my first question, right? But that needs to be a balance between the both. Uh, I, at least I believe so because uh, we've seen multiple examples of say how um, both totalitarian states where there's complete imposition of will. At the same time, uh, individuals acting in their own lawlessness and anarchy. And both of these uh, are very radically opposing things and at, at, they have very negative outcomes for the society at large, which is why I think that needs to be uh, some sort of tension pulling these both together and having a balance in the middle. And um, so what are your thoughts on, say, how this idea of demolition is going to be detrimental to the society? Um, so I guess I have slightly complicated views on this. Now, I do agree that 
demolition, whether you think of it as a riot, whether you think of it uh, as, um, you know, just lawlessness, as you call it. So there is an existing imaginary of law, which you are now refusing to follow. Um, now, that act of demolition in itself may not yield anything. In fact, it, as you're saying, it may be detrimental in that it may lead to loss of lives. It may lead to terrible violence. It may, it may not lead to any kind of significant reconstruction of society. But at the same time, I, I think we have to understand that uh, you do need to attack some ideas and attack some norms, right? Especially if those norms are oppressive. So for example, I'm just thinking of, let's say the suffragette movement, right? Now, how do you, how do you make an impact on people's minds? How do you sort of, in some sense, crash into or break into, you know, a certain normative edifice that, that women cannot vote, that this, this sort of organizes, let's say the social perception, or for that matter, let's think of the fact that in the university, because we are placed in the university today, there are identities that were not allowed in, right? That, that it took some sense of attack on the existing social body for those identities to be brought into the fold, right? For, now, there are also structures of thought, right? So for example, let's say my mother or my aunt or my you know, uncle or whatever, a lot of family members, I mean, they're in a middle class setup. You know, they're not able to kind of understand that the, they're not able to understand that somebody who's coming and working and I'm bringing in labor again because Bartleby, I think, talk, brings up the question of labor. That when there is uh, somebody who's working for a wage, they don't understand these differences between, um, you know, like, somebody who has the capacity for le leisure, somebody who is, you know, contractually told to do something, but, you know, also has space to kind of live their life and somebody who doesn't, right? So anybody who's subordinate to them, right? I'm thinking of domestic work in particular, you know, they feel like you, we can completely like control their time, right? Now, at the same time, they believe they're very benevolent. So if I kind of have a conversation with them, no, 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 we are actually nice. We are not as bad as the person next to them. And I'm trying to tell them, but don't you realize that this is informalized work and you're not even giving them like a weekend. You get a weekend. Why are you not giving them the weekend, right? And there you require an attack, I feel. Now, demolition is a word I'm not very sure about, but I would choose the word attack. I do think that you need attacks on normative ways of thinking for that, for, for you to be able to break through its rigidity, for you to break through its institutionalization, right? Uh, but again, like just sort of that act of attack without any reconstruction is not enough. So, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. So that, that was the difference that I was trying to make. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not necessary that you everything that you deconstruct you completely destroy or demolish, mm -hmm. right? So there are certain parts, say uh, our house, one of our houses was, uh, we wanted to change things. So there was some part of deconstruction that happened. Then we rebuilt something over that place, but that wasn't complete demolition. 
right you are you have a basic foundation that holds at place and above it you either deconstruct or reconstruct it uh but that's that's the kind of difference that i'm trying to make uh which kind of moves me into the next question this so there is this illustration that one of my friends had sent it to me this idea that uh, there's an eagle flying soaring above the mountains but uh, its leg is tied to the ground right so uh, how um, this person i think it was judith butler who interpreted it or something like that she says i think um that one must soar high inside the system right uh, without one must soar high knowing that there is a system by by being grounded inside the system so being my interpretation or my leading into this is that we can be free we can exercise our freedom but for everyone to be safe inside or everyone to have the ability to exercise that level of freedom you need to have a structure and you need to be grounded inside that what are your thoughts on that um but you know i i don't know about this quote and what interpretation is there but but let's say if your leg is tied is that being grounded or is that being tied is that being kind of uh imprisoned in the sense that what if let's say you want to fly a little higher right what if you uh you you don't want a necessary constraint right uh sure there has to be restructuring and reconstruction but what wh- why does there have to be a necessary constraint and the next question is who constraints and i think you know while we are talking about reconstruction and while we are talking about the need for structure we also have to ask the question of who makes the structure i agree with the broad more abstract point that there has to be a structure within which we organize meaning and the actions of our life i i am i am unable to imagine what it would be like to live outside that and in fact uh living outside such a structure living outside a normative structure is also in some sense a structure right i don't think you can avoid uh you know not kind of organizing your life or stabilizing your life in a particular form so even let's say bartleby uh you can say that bartleby sort of does a set of things which of course destroy him but is he living outside a structure i'm not sure because can you in in the material world where the material world is itself like organized through structures you can through in your consciousness perhaps you can choose to not inhabit particular structures of social relationships or work but you are housed within the world which which in itself is made up of material structures right now so then the question for me is not just about the need for reconstructing structures but who reconstruct those structures and my politics says that you know these structures have historically been constructed by those in power right uh and the attack comes from those from below frequently right now the attack of course doesn't have any immediate imagination of alternative because meaning itself is hegemonically organized so let's say 
you know, let's say I want to break against the idea of a family as we know it, because all the families I've seen are somewhat oppressive. Let's say I think of that. Uh, but I will inevitably sort of be part of some sort of a social community, right? Where we are allocating labor, allocating duties and roles and responsibilities akin to a family, right? Uh, the other thing is that what happens is that although I may want to break out of that structure, the meanings through which I will also create a new structure is organized by the previous structure. Like that is a paradox that you keep slipping into, right? Which is why I think for me, the question is about who is part of that conversation. Um, and I think this conversation has to be democratized. This conversation has to involve uh, people who have not been the owners of the structures they, they develop and build. So that's how I would look at it. Because if let's say your groundedness is decided by those who are above you, by those who control your lives in a structural sense, then you know, there's a problem for me. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Which, yeah, it leads me to one final aspect. I think I'll close with this question. Yeah. Um, I think there is this one thought that I was introduced to that that is always like, say, uh, probably some sort of totalitarianism where there's one person mm -hmm. who has freedom and the rest of your citizens don't. There's some level of aristocracy where some people in the society have freedom and the others don't, which is, which is what we have translations and different manifestations of that form of freedom today. And the third is this ideal state where everyone has freedom. My question is, say democracy is, say, I would interpret it as a different form of aristocracy. People still have power on top and there is a hierarchy through which freedom is um, handed over. Finally, my question probably is, is there any version of politics or the state or governance where this ideal state where everyone has freedom exists? Or do you think that there will always exist a system of hierarchy? Uh, time, uh, to an example that you gave, you said the attack comes from the bottom to those who are have, who have power at the top. But the second when the attack happens, it has happened through like ages, right? Like monarchies, uh, I mean, mutinies and so on. And the second that mutiny happens, the person who attacks takes over power. So that power again becomes a cyclic thing. So there is some sort of, the cycle of power always exists, uh, exists as humans crave for power in itself, right? So my question is, can humans exist without hierarchies? Can we have a flat system where everyone exists without hierarchy? Um, <laughs> I want to say no, uh, because, no, see, of course I can have an utopian imagination, but for me, it's not about whether there can be an ideal state, right? For, for me, the question is about developing the tools and the forms of consciousness and thought and vocabulary and actions through which we can respond to any moment power is exercised brutally. Because, I mean, I don't have the imagination to think of how this can end, right? 
I I don't think it's as simple as a cyclical replacement of power that you know those from below they kind of attack those in power and then they replace and substitute and somebody else comes in. I don't think it's as simple as that. I think what happens is negotiation, transaction. There are better and worse possibilities that happen, and all of these questions have to be historically contextualized. But the point is that um, that there, you know, it it is perhaps foolhardy to imagine that power will not be transacted, <laughs> that that we will be free to live according to what we want because we are necessarily interdependent, right? Uh, and and this is a finite world that we live within so we have to cooperate we have to learn to live together and thus we will need structures and we will need responsibilities to be allocated and in that sense there will be hierarchy uh now hierarchies at the same time can become oppressive hierarchies may not subject itself to critique and questioning and so they will be subject to attack so i think what is probably cyclical in my head is the attack <laughs> uh because that will happen all the time but the but what i think we what i am interested in and what this podcast is also throwing up now is what does that attack lead to because it will continue to happen uh and it will continue to happen because power will continue to be exercised brutally from above uh and of course the identities which inhabit power change over time but one thing we have to realize that we ha- still haven't reached a point in our history where those at the top have actually changed <laughs> radically right if you think of like the broad power structures of the world you have white men on top uh and you think about india you have brahmin men on top right if you think of like who are the big capitalists who are the sort of uh big academics or people who are sort of controlling knowledge thought capital flow and so on and so forth you know that these things haven't changed in hundreds of years right so 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 the question then is like the attack will have to continue but there has to be more conversation on reconstruction i think this applies much more pertinently to student life because i think in student life we rebel and rightly so but we end up ultimately reproducing those same structures over and over again right uh so we have to rebel better and with purpose and towards reconstruction so that would be my proposition hmm. yeah that's quite interesting because also it ties back into the text uh, in a weird way because i think as the first question and your answer went bartleby just exercised his free will we don't know if that was some sort of agenda or he did it for his own selfish reasons we don't know we have interpretations of it and probably analogies to which we can tie into but i think that's what is important right like to have a cause for your rebellion to also know what you're rebelling for and have some sort of a plan to reconstruct what you have deconstructed so i think with that uh, we'll come to a close thank you so much shayan it was quite an uh, stimulating conversation thank you sam it was very interesting and stimulating <laughs>